welcome to Taylor's Life. Today I'm joined by Tanisha and Tanisha and I work in the same TV production company and we're going to be talking about her sober living and being diagnosed with autism in ADHD at 31 which was six months ago from when we're recording and it's been one hell of a journey for her and I think it's time that we got Tanisha onto the podcast. So hello and welcome. Hi Taylor, thank you for having me. Oh thank you for being on here. Honestly after reading through your notes and like hearing about your journey and stuff like more people need to understand that autism and ADHD it's not an easy diagnosis so I'm really really glad you're open to sharing your story thank you I'm looking forward to sharing amazing thank you (laughs) So before we get into it all, tell me a little bit about your work, what you do in your spare time, just so the audience can paint a picture of what you're like. So yeah, like you said, we work at the same TV production company. Um, So I'm the finance manager there. And yeah, I won't go into it too much, but (laughs) I'm looking more at like the budgets and making sure that people aren't overspending. Um, And I also do the payroll and the management accounts. So that's like the finance side. I won't go much further into that. Um, And then in my spare time, I do tend to have like a lot of different hobbies. Um, But the ones that I've got into recently, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's like a boxing gym called One Rebel. Oh, wow. No, I've never heard of it before. So this has been like my thing recently. Like I've been loving it. So everyone gets their own like boxing bag and then you just you learn like different combos and it's like it's really the opposite of what you would expect an autistic person to like because it's really like it's like blaring music it's like neon lights it's like you're in a club but (laughs) you're doing a workout (laughs) um so I've been really enjoying that and then um I used to do aerial hoop for a long time I did it for like four years I did a competition in Wales actually um yeah um which was really fun Um, But since COVID, like all the studios shut down, so um, I couldn't really train anymore. And then like trying to get back into it after like a three year break has been really hard. But I am hoping to kind of pick it up again because I loved it. Amazing. How long were you doing that before COVID like hit? Did you say four years? Four years. Yeah. It's like the one hobby that I feel like I've really managed to stick at. (laughs) I just loved it. Yeah. That sounds so much fun. You have to be really strong, like everywhere for that don't you oh my gosh really exciting and what was the competition in wales was it like uk big it was i'm trying to remember the title i think it was called like it was like the international aerial and pole championships or something yeah i think that's what it's called it's like iapc um and they have like different categories so it goes from like beginner beginner to like obviously like professional i can't remember what category i ended now i have the medal here actually oh no it was it was the WAPC. So it must have been like the Wales Aerial and Pole Championships. I came third in my category. Thank you. Congratulations. Woo. (laughs) And then COVID came and bloody got in the way. Can't believe it. That's a bit rude. I know. It's annoying. (laughs) So then since COVID came along and I couldn't go to the studio anymore, um, I decided to take up a new hobby, which for me was singing. Um, So I've been learning, having singing lessons every week since the beginning of this year. And yeah, it's been really fun. I've been really enjoying it. What song are you singing at the moment? So at the moment, um, so I've I've been doing a few. The last one that I learned was um, Royals by Lord. Oh, wow. So you're a soprano then? I don't know. I feel like we've done a lot. Like I've done a Taylor Swift song. I've done like A Whole New World from Aladdin. Like it's been all sorts. But I would definitely say my range is higher. Like I find the low notes really hard. 
Oh, that's so exciting. I'd love to hear you sing at the Christmas party this year. Oh, God. <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm the mic. <laughs> very, very exciting stuff. And now I've brought up a Christmas party that the last Christmas party I wish I was sober living for. But how did you get into your sober living lifestyle? What was all of that about? Um, so, yeah, it's been two years and eight months now um since I've had a drink um and for me yeah it wasn't like one of those like rock you know like you have a rock bottom moment or like one thing is like really bad that happens and you're like I, I'll never do it again yeah it was more like I guess like I started drinking quite young um like probably when I was like 14 and for me I guess like although I didn't know it at the time like for me it was a way to cope with like I guess being undiagnosed and not understanding why like social situations were hard or like school was hard or like making friends was hard or like all these things so it was kind of like a when I drank I was confident so like it was just a way to cope and just a way to get through and then obviously like at uni like it kind of multiplies that because everyone's drinking and everyone's going out and it's like you know it's freshers and all these things like it's so much focus around like drinking and like going out and socializing and yeah it was kind of like a coping thing and then after I left uni it was just like you know when you just have like a a build-up of like multiple nights where like things happen but it's not like terrible things but it's still like you might lose something or you might not remember stuff or yeah um you you make it home but you're a bit like how did I make it home or you get in a taxi it's just like all these things where if you look back on it you think like thank god I'm okay but like at the time it probably was a bit like sketchy or a bit like yeah I weren't like 100 percent yeah the puzzles were sort of like pieces of the puzzles were missing like when people say you did that last night and then you're just like I did what it's like that thing and then was that like you had a night of that well a, a few nights of that and then you were like you know what this can't carry on yeah I guess it kind of like built up like I think up until like a few years after I left uni like obviously I wasn't going out as much because I wasn't at uni anymore but I would still have like these kind of like big nights out and I still I just had a gut I think I just had a gut feeling that like it was not right and it was not good for me and like especially in terms of like anxiety and stuff like I just found the next day I woke up like super anxious and then it would take me like I think most people recover after like a day or two for me it would take me like five days to get back to feeling like kind of normal again yeah so when you cut alcohol out was it like I'm cutting it out or was it like a slow sort of process so for me um so I first first decided that I wanted to cut it out in 2018 um my friend had like a leaving drinks and again it's not even like anything super bad happened that night but I just it was just one night I guess it was the night that like the last straw where I was like yeah I don't want to do this anymore I don't want to drink anymore and then from that point I kind of had like maybe like five months where I wouldn't drink and then I drink again and then I have like seven months where I wouldn't drink but I was still drinking like you know at the Christmas party or like at someone's birthday or at someone's wedding like whenever there was a big event but in between that I'd go for months at a time without drinking and then yeah it was about so I guess like just under three years ago now I went to my best friend's wedding and I didn't even drink that much there I think I literally had like two glasses of carver or or prosecco or whatever it was 
um I don't know just something that night I just was like I'm done I I'm done like I don't want to do this anymore I don't want to do the half and half like oh yeah I'll just have one or I'll drink sometime but not the other time I was like I'm just I've just had enough I just don't want to do it anymore and I haven't had anything since then That's amazing. You must be really, really strong minded to actually, you know, there might be a lot of peer pressure and all of that as well. So did you struggle with like friends after that? Like, did friends understand your decision? So I think you, I kind of went through like a, a natural like shift, I guess, where a lot of my friends who, yeah, were the ones who I was going for a drink with after work or whatever it was, like if there was any way that like drinking or going out was connecting us, like they kind of slowly like drifted from my life and I kind of did lose quite a lot of friends from it. But I would say that that's not necessarily like a bad thing because the people that I still have in my life now and the friends that I've made since then, like I know it's genuine and I know it's like they like me because of me. They don't like me because of some person that I am when I've had a drink or, or whatever. So I think, yeah, although not everyone wanted to stick around, like the people that do are like the ones that I want to be here. Absolutely. And I think if they do stick around and, you know, are friends with you for who you are, then they're true friends. These other people, I'm glad they're out of your life to be <laughs> because they're not they're not proper friends. And yeah. earlier you mentioned how you started drinking at a young age as a coping mechanism. So when you turned, um, I don't know how old you were when you decided to cut alcohol out, but when you turned that age, had you come across like, other coping mechanisms for dealing with your undiagnosed ADHD and autism? So I guess for me, if I think about back to like all the things that I did to cope, like I used to, I used to smoke like a lot, like so much. I, I used to drink a lot. I used to have really horrible relationships with people that are like not nice people, like at all. Like that was also a big thing because the drama and the whatever of it just, I guess, kept me like distracted and like busy and whatever so it yeah for me that was like a long time where I just would have like these relationships that were like not not good for me and I guess when I cut alcohol out that's actually the time when I started doing aerial hoop so I think maybe that became like my kind of new obsession and my <laughs> my new thing to like throw everything into um because I was training like in, like an insane amount like I'd go to the studio like five six times a week I'd be training for like out like, I sometimes do like five hour sessions <laughs> and stuff so I think that kind of became my new like coping mechanism but um, a healthier one yeah definitely and you know sometimes when you're younger it's really really hard to find your thing if you know what I mean mm. and like if everybody else is drinking you're like oh yeah well I might as well do it and if your friends are and stuff like I even remember in school like people always offering me like drugs and stuff and mm. it takes a lot to be like no do you know what I mean so the fact that you've got to that point do you smoke now like or is that completely cut out of your life as well? No, um, my my mom caught me smoking when I was like, I think when I was like sixteen, and she like swiftly put a stop to <laughs> swiftly put a stop to that. And I, for that, I'm actually very glad now, um, because yeah, I wouldn't want to smoke anymore. As well, oh my word, it's so so expensive. I remember mm. in primary school, like I I don't know who came in. Somebody came into school, and we had like an assembly, and it was like how much a pack of cigarettes 
cost and if you saved all of that up for a year you'd be able to buy a car or a camera or whatever 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 and it's just like oh my gosh do you know what I mean and it's not good for your health but nonetheless we've painted a picture of who you are as a person about your sober living which honestly kudos to you like that takes some balls to say listen I'm not doing this no more but now I'd be interested in chatting a little bit more about your autism and ADHD diagnosis because 31 is quite a late age to get a diagnosis so had you always been showing symptoms like how did you get your diagnosis? Yeah so this is quite a long story but I'll try and summarize it Um, but basically I guess a big part of it is the fact that like how it presents in men and women is like so different. And I think even, even myself, like I had only associated, especially autism and partly ADHD as well with like boys, like young boys. And that's like all that you see, like how it's represented. And I never, ever, ever thought that it would be possible for like me to have it. So I think when I look when I can look back now like I can see how I guess I mean not to everyone else but to me it's like so obvious like all the things I was doing like the way that I was being treated by people um yeah it's just it's just it's really for me it's really sad to know that like only now but I guess yeah it it is what it is and it's you know I'm lucky that I found out now and not maybe when I'm like 70 but I guess a lot of the things that I can see were like, for example, I didn't have like loads of friends when I was at school. I kind of, I found the whole like social thing like very difficult. And in the end, I kind of, this is partly why I ended up drinking young as well, I think, is I kind of ended up in that like kind of crowd of like the loners or like the outcasts a bit where like, they were obviously having a hard time like for them they just used to skip school and like go drink somewhere or go smoke somewhere and I kind of just ended up with them because I didn't really have like another group or like especially um I used to have quite a lot of friends that were boys because for me like girls and girl friendship groups was so confusing like I just really didn't understand like the dynamics like (laughs) what I was supposed to say like what I was supposed to talk about like all these like unwritten social things that I just like really didn't understand um so I guess that's partly how I ended up kind of in those circles because it was just very confusing for me and I think I used to have um like when I get really really stressed um like I kind of have like a verbal shutdown so I can't speak and yeah if teachers would like pick on me to like say something like sometimes I just wouldn't be able to say anything and then obviously for people who don't know that you have something like autism they just think you're like really weird or I, I don't know just like a very weird individual and then I used to just get like picked on because of that and then I used to yeah get a lot of things of like people taking the mick because I couldn't look them in the eye and and just stuff like that like when I look back now I'm like oh yeah like how did no, how did no one pick up on that <laughs> <sighs> that's actually crazy but the thing is like you know so many people go undiagnosed and if like more schools talked about all of these sort of symptoms more people would probably know what what's happening to them and you know I'm so sorry that you went through all of that but when you had your diagnosis what did that mean to you was that like it all makes sense now 
yeah for me it was really really life-changing because um yeah what I kind of missed out from saying before is I guess um like school was kind of one thing uni was kind of one thing but um I've always kind of been very I guess book smart is that the right word like I can very easily like read a book like read a textbook regurgitate the answers back or like however an examiner wants to see it so I've always got good grades so I think because of that reason I got good grades I wasn't disruptive I wasn't thrown out of class so like for a long time it was missed but as soon as I got into the world of work that is when things really started to become very very difficult because again there's a lot of like unwritten like rules of the workplace that I just like didn't get or didn't understand and like from the outside I probably look like really high functioning and really like I'm capable and all these things and then when it didn't quite like match up then people would just be really horrible or like tell me off or like yeah it was never like oh how can we help you it was just like why are you doing this like yeah it was very like confusing and then so in the end because of these like negative experiences that I had like I ended up like I kept leaving my jobs so I'd stay for like a, like a couple of years and then like the same cycle kind of tended to repeat itself. And then I'd be like, oh, you know, like it's this job. I need to go find another one. And then I'd go find another one and then go find another one. And then I just couldn't really like get it to work for me and I couldn't understand why. And then um, I was like, right, I'm going to start a business. Like this is going to be the thing. Like it's the corporate world. It's not me. Uh, I'm going to start a business and everything is going to be amazing. And then I started a business and then it that was even worse because, again, like I was trying to do things in a very like neurotypical way. So um, when I had my business, I was doing financial coaching. Okay. And um, I was trying to have like multiple clients, like loads of client calls, like things that are like really, re- like calls are so draining for me. Like it's really, really difficult. Like I, I can not do that many <laughs> So and then the whole time that it wasn't working, like I just kept spending more and more money trying to figure out like why it wasn't working. So I was like, right, I'm going to get a sales coach and I'm going to get a business coach and I'm going to go to a life coach and I'm going to go on this course. And I was like, I'm going to find out like what's happening. And I ended up spending like literally my entire life savings. Like my emergency fund was like literally zero. At that point, that was really like the, because the whole time I think I had in the back of my head that oh it must be the corporate world it must be the corporate world and then that was the point where I was like oh my god it's me like <laughs> I thought there was something really wrong with me and I just thought like if I can't work in the corporate world and I can't have a business then like am I doomed to like do nothing for the rest of my life like I, at that point I just felt like such a failure that I just felt like I had nothing to offer and that makes me feel really sad now when I think about it I'm so sorry you had to go through that and the fact that like it could have been prevented do you know what I mean all Mm. of it could have been prevented and I think workplaces maybe now are slightly more understanding of Mm. things like that and I don't think you need a diagnosis now to be like listen I might have this or I might not have this or I struggle with this but it is difficult like the corporate world is difficult it's not easy and and I was just wondering when did you decide to go to the doctors or the GP or wherever to say listen I have no idea what's happening so it was basically at that point when I had like run out of money I had like no idea what my next steps were um I was just like 
in a really, really like low place because obviously I had no idea what was going on. So it was at that point that I decided to start seeing a therapist because I was like, okay, there's obviously something wrong with me. So I need to go to therapy so I can sort myself out and then like I'll know how to move forwards. And then it was only then because she basically um, had a lot of like knowledge and experience of like people who are neurodivergent. So it was only then that I basically every week I was going to her with like the same stuff, like the same thing. I was like, this has happened again. This has happened again. And then she was kind of like, okay, like putting the picture together. And then eventually after we'd worked together for like a few months, she was like saying to me, you know, oh, um, is there any history in your family? Like anyone, you know, that's like neurodivergent or, you know, what's kind of like the, the history there. Um, and then I kind of went into it with her of like, my mom's always thought that my dad's autistic, but he's never really like, I don't know, acknowledged it or like wanted to go for diagnosis or, or anything. She's only like based on her experience and what she's kind of like picked up that's what she kind of thought um and then yeah she was kind of like saying oh you know like a lot of the things that we're talking about like they do kind of match a lot of those like kind of traits and so she was like it's obviously up to you but why don't you speak to your GP about it and see um what they say and um so it was at that point um so this now was last year about last kind of like June July time um I spoke to my GP and I knew that it's actually really hard to get referred for a diagnosis because especially if you're female um, I've heard a lot of cases of like you really have to fight your case and kind of go like know, knowing what you want to say um, but I think I was maybe quite lucky in the fact that when I went to see my GP like I didn't have a job at that point like I was unemployed um, I was suffering really badly from like panic attacks and I think I was just in a bad enough place that she believed, like she actually believed me that there was something there. So she was happy to refer me. Um, but it was at that point that I got told that the waiting lists are like basically between two and seven years. Um, so that was a bit, yeah, terrifying. <laughs> I was like, no, I can't wait that long. It's it's such a long process. Did you end up having to go private in the end? Yeah, so I waited, I think, I don't know, a few months, but um, it, yeah, I never heard from my doctors or, like anything. And I think I was at that point where I was just so desperate for an answer, even though I didn't have the money, I found the money um, to go private. So it cost me, it was 1,500 for a combined autism and ADHD diagnosis. And I know that that's like so privileged because so many people will not be in the position where they can afford to spend that much money on that. Um, so I know that yeah it was a very I was in a lucky position um but for me it was worth like every single penny like honestly and you were slightly older as well so like mm. that diagnosis probably meant more to you than a lot mm. of people because you were like this will help me with work this will help me just understand what the hell has been going on in my past so mm. like you say it's privileged but at the same time like you know a lot of people might be able to get that money as well do you know what I mean I just think it's one of those things like if it gives you peace of mind it gives you peace of mind yeah and from that process you went to the private um diagnosis test and did it come up straight away that you had ADHD and autism yeah so basically how it works is um so before you even so you have to be diagnosed by a psychiatrist um uh, so before you even get to the psychiatrist you have to do like um questionnaire like they're kind of like questionnaires um 
and like some kind of like yeah fill in the answer type things like how you react in like certain situations and then you also have to get someone who knows you really well so for me I got my boyfriend to do it um they have to fill in as well like how they think that you react to certain things and like how they would answer it as well um and then sometimes they ask for like your school records as well to try and see like um yeah what you were like in school and what kind of things were written about you um so you send all that information off and they have a look and then you'll get a slot with a psychiatrist um so it was about I think just over two hours that I spoke to her for um and it's here's really like a lot because you're going through like everything that's ever happened to you like in your whole life and the way I don't know if they do this on purpose but the way that she was asking me the questions it was like in a really random order so she'd ask me about like school and then she'd ask me about something that happened like two weeks ago and it was really like mixed up and I don't know if that was to try and get like my honest answer or so I couldn't like I don't know um so you couldn't plan anything in your mind it was really off guard yeah yeah um and so at the end of that it's really funny because when I went into that session I was really like yeah, they're going to notice the autism and that's going to be the main thing and that's really what's going to come up. And then at the end of the session, she was like, well, it's really obvious you have ADHD. And I was like, oh, okay. That's not the thing I was expecting to come up. Um, uh, (laughs) So then um, she was like, obviously I can't say anything for definite now, but um, basically after that session, it goes to, it was reviewed by I think two other psychiatrists as well, um, just to make sure, I guess it's like not one person's bias and they all kind of, come to the same conclusion um and then yeah so I waited I think it was maybe three or four weeks uh for them to kind of do that review um and then yeah I I got the letter confirming um, my ADHD and autism diagnosis oh wow it just it just seems crazy that you had to go to those lengths to actually get a diagnosis in the first place Mm but how that like diagnosis was like was life-changing but I would be interested in knowing how did it affect work so now that you had this diagnosis were employers slightly more understanding of maybe why you struggled in work environments yeah so actually when I first joined um like where, where I work now where we work now um I didn't have the diagnosis at that point but that was kind of when I thought I did have it so I emailed my boss and I kind of said like oh by the way like I think that I'm at this point I just thought autistic so I said by the way I think that I'm autistic um just so you know and I wrote, kind of wrote him like a little summary I was like these are the kind of the things that it affects and um yeah just like let me know if you need anything else kind of thing um and he was very supportive he was like you know thank you for letting me know um you know if there's anything that I can do to like support you like we can have a look at it um and I think yeah that was like the first time that I actually felt really like oh like really nice really supported and yeah it was um yeah it was just it was just nice like to know that you know people aren't going to take things the wrong way or I don't know like criticize me for things that are just like my personality or whatever like it, it kind of let me feel like I could let my guard down a little bit yeah absolutely and I think as well like going through that sort of entire process you're learning a lot about what makes you tick now and like you've done Mm. how many jobs had you gone through before you got this one where you were like so I think it was four four jobs so you've had four roles before this current job where you've learned now what like triggers you I guess or what makes you feel 
a certain way in the work environment so I think with that all sort of coming into play you understand yourself now better than ever do you know what I mean and mm. going through going through it all um I, I know we like mentioned a little bit earlier when we had our own sort of conversation how did Ellie Middleton play a picture in your sort of diagnosis and everything so for me she was the first person that I found um so she is a autistic and ADHD like content creator um and she was the first person that I found when I was in that kind of like before stage of the diagnosis when I was first speaking to the therapist and I was like, okay, what is going on? Like, do women really get autism? Like this, that kind of phase. Um, and yeah, she was the first one that I found. Um, and it was just like the first time that I'd really seen like a young female, like autistic ADHD, like role model who kind of like was sharing her journey and just made me like understand so much more about myself. And just like, even just seeing that like they exist and like they, and the fact that she was also, doing well for herself like really filled me with a lot of like inspiration and a lot of like okay one like I'm not on my own and two like it's possible to thrive like be these things and still thrive that's amazing honestly like sometimes I wonder like how is social media affecting the world in a positive way and it's exactly what you're saying now it's literally raising awareness about a certain conversations topics everything like that like conversations that need to be had and I'm not gonna lie to you now that you've mentioned earlier that like female being diagnosed is like way less than men I'm trying to think all of the women in my life that I know that have autism like diagnosed it's next to none mm. literally I know maybe three people that have actually got a diagnosis that are female and it's absolutely crazy and with all of that being said is there anything else that you want to add to the podcast that you feel like we haven't covered um so I guess just for people who are like maybe in a similar stage or like seeking a diagnosis or whatever um I would say like the first thing is like ignore the media like <laughs> that's like the first thing to do because there's been a real wave recently of this like I don't even know what it is this like oh everyone's got everyone's a little bit ADHD and everyone does this and it's like this quirky trendy I don't know everyone on social media has it like ignore that because it's really like it's not helpful and if you're someone that it makes your life so difficult or like even unbearable like the suicide risk I think in women with ADHD is like four times higher than the general population so like you're picking on people who are like really vulnerable and really like in a difficult situation so yeah ignore ignore that for a start like if you think you have it you think you have it like it's fine even if you don't like you'll learn something about yourself it's you know don't don't put yourself off from even like trying I think that's the first one and then the second would be yeah to definitely find yourself a role model because I think that is so so helpful like for me it was Ellie Middleton I also had Leanne Marskell who um she was my ADHD coach for a bit as well um so yeah just like those young female autistic ADHD role models who like you know they're succeeding they're doing what they want to do they found a way to make things work for them I think it's really important like because again like it affects different genders differently it can affect different races differently 
Um, so I think just finding someone who is like you that you can like learn from and follow is really, really important. Um, and then, yeah, like just, I think just learning as much as you can. Like for me, I <laughs> went into like a bit of a black hole of research, like before my diagnosis and I read like so many books. I like read, listened to all the podcasts. I did like everything because I was just like, yeah, I just felt like for the first time in my life, like someone understood me. So I just really wanted to like read and learn and explore. And I think that's like a really good place to start. Like even if you find a book or yeah, a podcast that is, is useful. Um, and then I guess, yeah, the, the last one I wanted to talk to you about, which you kind of mentioned earlier about the work thing. Um, so there's actually something called access to work. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this before. I have heard of it, yeah. but definitely worth mentioning in the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, basically it's support from the government um, to help you if you have, it's various conditions. It's not just ADHD and autism. It's also like mental health conditions and stuff like that. Um, but you don't actually need like a formal diagnosis to apply. So that's why um, it can be really helpful if you're in that kind of like between stage or you think you have it. Um, so you can just apply like the waiting list is quite long. Uh, it's about six months, seven months, I think at the moment. Um, but yeah, you can get some really good things. Like for me, I got my ADHD coach, um, which was for me really, really life changing. Um, finally, having someone who like can teach you strategies that are like ADHD specific rather than general stuff that like half the time doesn't even work for us. Um, you can get like I got some uh, captioning software. Um, I got like a footstool that you can like rock back and forward so you can like take out all that like energy. Um, but yeah, there's like lots of different things that you can get. So I would definitely say, yeah, apply for that if you think you need the support. That's amazing. You've given some really, really great advice there. And I put all of the links to like the access to work and everything in the description box. But thank you so much for your time. Honestly, it's it's been like a breath of fresh air having you talk about all of your experiences in such like a calm sort of way do you know what I mean it's just really really nice so thank you so much for being on the podcast oh thank you for having me yeah I'm glad we got to have this chat and I hope that people find it useful amazing thank you and I'll speak to you I'll see you in work (laughs) (laughs) send me an email (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much and I'll catch you guys in the next one bye